I'm Mark Stedman, and I'm about to suffer a spontaneous total existence failure. Hi, I'm Danny Smith, and Mark, you're turning into a penguin. Stop it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm John Barnes, and I started off as just a lot of hot air. It was on display in the bottom of a locked filing cabinet, stuck in a disused lavatory with a sign on the door saying, Beware of the Leopard. From the outpost, this is Beware of the Leopard, your A to Z of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. It's just yours. We are nearly at the bottom of the barrel of S's. So, let's begin with a trio of unfortunate events. We're not finished the S's yet. Nearly there. No! <laughs> okay, let's get through. Let's do this. The great ventilation and telephone riots of SRDT 3454 led to three important events, which we'll go through in turn, but it's basically all the fault of a ventilation system called the Breathe Smart, which was absolutely guaranteed to never, ever, ever go wrong. So much so that the company demanded all customers seal shut all the windows in buildings that used it. So on that note... Every piece of technology on whatever uh, of whatever stripe uh, is required on SRDT three four five four to carry the following legend embossed somewhere on its surface, regardless of its size. The major difference between a thing that might go wrong and a thing that cannot possibly go wrong is that when a thing that cannot possibly go wrong goes wrong, it usually turns out to be impossible to get at or repair. Uh, John Bounds, do you think Douglas ever tried to replace the battery on a MacBook? He may have done, but the uh, models that were around when he was alive were actually quite easy to replace the battery, weren't they? They were externally attached. Yeah, there were bits you could get at. Is it, I mean, is it really necessary? I don't really want to replace the battery on my MacBook. Um, <laughs> it's this, the being able to get inside your technology is most mm-hmm. overrated, I think. Oh. I've, I've, I've had re- uh, fun. Um, in recent times, trying to uh, get a Fairphone to work. And have, you, have either of you two guys seen the Fairphone? I don't think so. I have heard of it. Yeah. So the Fairphone is lovely concept. It's designed to be um, open source, mm-hmm. repairable, comes in sort of like component parts. They've done their absolute best to minimize any sort of like, um, uh, what they call them, conflict minerals in it. Ooh, so okay. it shouldn't uh, cause too much harm in the world. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's Dutch, so uh, it will cost you more um, after March. But um, hmm. it's uh, you know it's it's probably quite well made. They're quite um, fastidious. The Dutch big hands though. The um, <laughs> they're very tall people. Well, pho- phone aficionados will will note that the Fairphone has a very large chin and a very large forehead. I don't know if that says anything about the Dutch. Uh, well, it, uh, it says they're not sloppy about these things. But um, anyway, <laughs> but it, it's it's a lovely uh, idea, and you take it apart, and there's all these little bits and the instructions, and it's all quite nice. You know, like innocent smoothies say things like, um, mm. aren't you happy to have a drink inside you now? Hmm? <laughs> uh, oh, look, sharpen up your life. Tickle your bollocks. I'm a milkshake. <laughs> There, there is a, there is actually a word for that sort of advertising comment. Twee. Um, comment twee is the word you're looking but, for. I don't know if tickle your bollocks, I'm a milkshake, qualifies as uh, twee. Depends how you tickle them. Tickle them with some uh, amigurumi fruit, and it definitely is. There you go. Anyway, so the phone's got all these things like, oh, look, here's the screw, turn me. And, Aww. you know, it don't work. Oh, it's no. It's really rubbish. Uh. It's slow. And I tell you what, I don't know what those conflict minerals do in the iPhone, but they make it go quicker. <laughs> they do make it go quick. <laughs> yeah. Also, it's probably Android, so, yeah. Yeah. So, I, d- I don't know. I mean, I'm one of those people who is absolutely 
very, very glad to have a smartphone. Has <laughs> and is also happy to have absolutely no uh, interest in opening it up, mm-hmm. finding out how it works, souping it, jailbreaking it, customizing it to my own design. I don't even change the backdrop on my Mac's desktop. Yeah, but that you've always you've always passed that off as you being a like uh, an Apple fetishist and and like you you accepting that Apple knows what's best for your phone. But most uh, let's be uh, let's be perfectly honest. Um most uh you know professional designer is going to be better at picking the backdrop of a computer than I am. Yeah, I'd say most most phone designers are going to be better at making a phone than I am, so I'll, I'll kind of trust them. I, I think the the thing that it, it irks me slightly more is certainly Apple, uh, but Microsoft uh, and Google have been doing this as well, trending towards laptops that are completely. Um, I don't know if we would pronounce the word irreparable, but I'm going to go with it that way because um, I like the way it sounds. Um, but you know, it it, it completely. Um, unable to repair them it's not a thing you can do i don't have much of a desire to kind of repair my tech or even go get it repaired um but i don't like the option being took away yeah i think i think that's the thing yeah yeah. and also it strikes me as like a little bit of dirty fucking pool right because okay these companies are massive uh, they're they're capitalist entities they're they're, and their ideology is capitalism but this is this is dirty poor man this is like capitalism is supposed to be like some sort of social darwinism where the best ideas in a marketplace become the most popular and therefore survive so if they want you to buy a new phone, they should come out with a better phone that makes you desire that phone rather than... Uh, planned obsolescence. Yeah, yeah, because they that's... I mean, a capitalism is immoral anyway, but this 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 is an extra bit of immorality that we're supposed to swallow and go, oh, yeah, no, no, they, they're fucking us just a little bit, little bit harder. This is just um, Adam Smith's invisible hand giving you a reach around, right? Is that a clever joke that I'm not going to get? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> a clever joke that I didn't get, so yes. <laughs> To be the voice on the other end of that particular spectrum, um, I, I genuinely don't think any company does this on purpose. Um, but I, and I, I hear this from um, a particular tech journalist whose opinion and view on the world I respect a lot and, and kind of think I share, which is that they don't plan for this stuff, but it really doesn't hurt their you know their way of working um they make these products the way they do because they want to sell the thinnest and lightest um and the way to make the thinnest and lightest thing is to glue everything together so that nothing can move inside and all that kind of stuff it then has the added thing of it being very very difficult for someone who isn't a third level mage to be able to get in and repair but yeah that argument's all well and good but aren't they also like voiding warranties if you do try and repair it or uh, not selling the parts separately anymore or not not endorsing the people that they used to endorse to repair them like that, we're getting into we're getting into to deeper territory if no one can repair photocopiers how do porn films start anymore <laughs> it's all pizza now mate to porn, I, I haven't seen a porn clip with, with, with any with story <laughs> In the last, <laughs> the last ten Paul, years, porn isn't plot anymore, is it? It's 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 like um, this trend now for for like normal films to just have really descriptive titles like horrible bosses. Porn is basically just now here's exactly the thing that you want to see, uh, and it probably I don't. I mean, this is what I understand to be the case. I, I don't know. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's 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 very like 
very simple descriptions of this thing goes into that hole. Uh, this person is related to this person in this way. There's your video. Bang, done. I mean, where's the art, guys? Where's the art? If only they said the things about how the uh, zero-gauge star-shaped screwdriver went into the back of the MacBook, then maybe we'd all be a lot happier. I'm a screw. Turn me. Wackaging. That's what that's called. Oh, wackaging. Right. Okay. Doesn't it just strike you as complete decadence, though? Doesn't this, like, this whole disposable consumer electronics just, like... Like, if if humanity does survive in the next 50 years, aren't we going to look back at how we're living now? Like, we look back at, like, the old Caesars who used to make their pet donkeys, like, uh, senators and, and, like, eat gold and paint lead on their faces. Aren't we going to just look and go, well, no wonder you all fucking died. We are living in the the dog days of uh, civilization. Um I've I'm, I've heard uh, I've, I'm no, no biblical scholar, but I'll have a look. Yeah, I'll have, I'm no biblical scholar. <laughs> I'll have a biblical scholar, but I'll. Uh, oh, I got to talk to I'll thumb Leviticus. Oh dear! <laughs> I, really, I really wish you wouldn't, John. But I don't know. I've not read the bit of the with all the, the hellfire and uh, damnation and the burning of the sky and all that at the end. I wonder how long it actually says that it takes because. We could well be living in this apocalypse. It's just like a long, drawn-out thing. I mean, God's not particularly good on his, uh, you know, estimates of how long things take anyway. If it was a builder, I wouldn't have trusted him when he said it was going to take only seven days because I know it took a little bit longer than that and he didn't turn up on the Tuesday morning because he had another job to quote. Yeah, the, the original quote was two days. Yeah. And it just took it just took six, and then he decided, ah, oh, I've done I've done me thing, so I'm just going to go and have a fag for a day. But the the ice caps are, are melting, mm. the, the Australia's burning, the sky is warm, California is either cold or on fire. Maybe this is the apocalypse. It's just a slow burn. Well, uh, let's all dance into the fire together and make a podcast. A fatal kiss is all we need. Right, we're still looking at the riots of SRDT 3454. The actual event itself was caused by three things. A press release from the manufacturers of the Brevo smart ventilation system, suggesting that best results are achieved in temperate climates, a particularly hot day on SRDT, and the employees of a telephone company taking to the streets in a demonstration against their corporate overlords, uh, which we will come to in a bit. Danny, when you're presented with a problem, are you more likely to try and throw some dirt on it and hope it stays buried, or are you going to get to the root of the thing? I'm of the opinion that some things aren't any of my business. There's somebody else's problem, if you will. Yeah, well, like, the chief amongst them being what people think of me. Mm -hmm. Like, that's none of my business. But there are lots of things that are not in my business. I do like a good problem, though. I'm a, I'm, I think I have a very good problem-solving skills. Now, the tenacity to stick around and see the solution of the problem through, not so much, really. Um, I get really bored. Don't you get really bored? I get really bored. So once I've figured out a problem, for example, Sudokus. Remember when Sudoku was mm. a thing and everybody loved Sudokus? I think that I did one and then I was like, oh, so that's the process in which you do that. Why would you ever need to do another one? Like, this is why you only ever put, I only ever seen you put a pair of trousers on once. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, horrible restrictive things, trousers, right? Much, much, much better to go for a smock. Are, are you a problem? So, I mean, I suppose being a coder, that you're nothing 
but a problem solver. Yeah, that, I mean that that's literally like yeah, that that's 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 my job. Uh, but I'm very much a get to the root kind of person. Yeah, like I, I th- that's just good problem problem solving, right? That's just good. That's just good practice. I mean, I would say that because I'm ace. <laughs> but there are different ways of solving problems, aren't there? So, um, in I, it's kind of I enjoy solving problems. I like solving problems. I'm not necessarily interested in carrying out the solutions where I when they come, they've come up been come up with. But I think you can solve them in different ways. So, if someone comes up with an idea for something, I'm terrible because I'll go, no, that won't work because. Mm-hmm. Blah, 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 blah. Loads of reasons it won't work. You see the obstacles first. Yeah, not that I won't then go, but if we do it this way, yes. we can achieve the same results. And that is incredibly irritating to people. Yes, I've been in so many meetings where I've been that guy. I, I, I completely sympathise because so much of the time I'm like, yeah, that that's not going to work because this. And I really want to be the positive guy who's like, yeah, love your energy. But I was just like, no, because all I see is the obstacle. So yeah, I, I think I'm I'm driven to find the most elegant solution to a problem. Ooh, elegance! I love finding the simplest and easiest solution. Have you heard of the five whys? Bigamy uh, uh, is not mine. It's a the the whys are not wives. Um, it is a Japanese manufacturing philosophy if you like. Um, and it was invented by, I'm going to get this wrong, but it was, I think it was um, the head of Toyota back in the 70s, maybe. And specifics are not my thing, guys. Um, but and, and it was basically to look at why things were going wrong uh, in the production line so that they could basically not have production problems. And so the the five whys is basically all about getting to the root of a, of a problem or a question or whatever. So you, you have um, people, uh, people don't like me. Why? Uh, because I can be abrasive. Why? Because I get frustrated when people are simple. Why? Because I think I'm very intelligent. Why? Because my mum told me that when I was a child. Um, and it's like you, you, the, the idea being, that was a bad example, but the idea being you, you keep going back until you actually find the real root cause of the problem. And I think that is quite an interesting thought technology. Oh, that is, that is nice. I'm going to keep that. I'm going to pop that in my back pocket. Learn the five whys link in the show notes. Why? Well, because it's um, <laughs> sort of what I've got to do as the, uh, as the podcast producer. Why? Well, because if I don't, people are going to be upset that they're not going to have um, links. Why? Uh, because some people, um, I think, like to possibly concentrate more on the um, written content than the, the audible content. Why? I think it's because ultimately our audible content is just not that uh, compelling. What? <laughs> <laughs> So we're still on the great ventilation and telephone riots of SRDT 3454 and the fallout that they caused. The final item on the list is that any employee of the telephone company BS&S is permitted to say once an hour, use BS&S and die after dealing with so many idiotic customers over the phone drove them mad. This was a direct result of the protest they had, which clashed with the office workers using the faulty breathe smart. Uh, if you haven't already guessed it, listener, the initialism, B, S and S, is only one letter off AT&T. So, John, what happened between Douglas Adams and AT&T? 
How did they hurt him? Well, um, one assumed, but this um, whole uh, bit is from Mostly Harmless, which is Douglas's last book. So he had been uh, living in the States. Yes, he had. At some periods, at least. So we can only assume that at some point he wanted to get a telephone <laughs> installed in his uh, Malibu Beach residence. <laughs> and um, they uh, they were in some way bureaucratic and annoyed him just enough to make a, a funny uh, vignette in a in a novel. Just like the um, adventure game Douglas made after uh, the Hitchhiker's Guide game with uh, Infocom, the adventure people, which was called Bureaucracy, which was all about trying to get a bank to accept a change of address. <laughs> I didn't know that. This is the, exactly the sort of thing that obviously would have uh, uh, annoyed Douglas. And in in much the way that um, uh, Mr. Hickman refers to the sort of British rail sandwich problem, <laughs> uh, lots of people would say, oh, remember how long it took you to get a phone when it was just British mm-hmm. Telecom? And they yeah. had to come round and you couldn't have different types of phone. And everybody had to have the same sort of phone. And it took ages. But uh, what actually happened in the... the um, in the uh, when Adam Smith's invisible hand um, comes in, and uh, if he gives you a quick, uh, he tweaks your uh, nipples, and he says, uh, actually, um, the market is going to coalesce, so your options will be still as limited. Uh, it will still take as long. Uh, the service will still be a bit crap, but will actually, uh, you won't be able to do anything to affect change. You've got no chance of voting out AT and T or the people that control them from being in charge of the American phone system. So, you know, they, there was a, the Americans had tried a few times to split the phone companies up in the States, and then they just kind of merge back together again. Mm. They, uh, it's kind of like, um, it's kind of like Play-Doh. <laughs> yes. Capitalism. Yes, absolutely. Capitalism is Play-Doh. It gets in the carpet. Yes, and you mustn't eat it. You can yeah, eat it. No, you, you can. It's non-toxic. It's fine. It's completely fine. It's just... Don't chew it, Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 as you know, I've worked on phones and stuff, and um, at, from the other end, I can completely sympathise why people would want to uh, shout, uh, use, um, what was it? Oh, use BSNS and die. Use BNS and die. Um, but I imagine, like, what's worse is, like, if people got confused and it was mandated <laughs> and they thought it was mandated and, like, it's, it's really hard to be harsh to, like, the general public sometimes so they'd have to kind of pass it off oh yeah it was like i mean of course if you've been working in customer service a while you'd have no problem saying that or anything else in fact me and my mates uh when we worked behind a bar we used to see what we could uh dare each other to slip in words into the interactions with the customers yeah we'd go okay right you're gonna say giraffe to this person Mm -hmm. um and you you would try and work it into the conversation i mean there are cheats there are yeah there are are cheats and that like like uh, um my mate's one was a bugger for this he would uh kind of just yawn and shout it. You're you're Can I help you? <laughs> so that that becomes yeah. boring after a while. But uh, what um what we did do is um I don't know if I've talked about it on the podcast before that but there was a regular and he'd um, been hit by a bus a couple of times. <laughs> I think you might have mentioned this fella. Um and we we uh, uh, at some point tried to get him to say words. Oh wow! Like stop. His his <laughs> his interactions were very echocolic. So I don't know would, what that word means. Sorry. He would kind of repeat phrases back at you, um, and quite compulsively sometimes. Like uh, he 
he was very proud of him being very good at horse riding. Uh, uh, not horse riding, uh, betting on the horses, like choosing, choosing horses to win. Yes, yes, yeah, remember now, yes, I'm very good on the horses. What am I like on the horses, Dan? And and we'd run out of ways of saying, oh, yeah, you're all right, yeah. Chris. So in the end, we'd be like saying things like, oh, you are a wizard on the horses. Yeah. You are you are a grand master of horsing. So we, we tried to get him, there was a running competition between me and this other barman, to try and get him to say the phrase, box of spiders. Okay. So we would, um, we would just mention box of spiders as if it was a phrase that everybody used quite a lot. Mm-hmm. And we were uh, like, we, we, we can't, and he wouldn't fucking say, like for oh, months he would, I never mentioned it once. And then there was this one time I was serving this family and from across the bar <laughs> in this golden moment, he slams his hand down on the bar and goes, Danny, box of spiders, eh? Oh. And jo- Twan in the Twan in the back room drops a tray of glasses. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, you know, you have one of those emotional reactions where you don't know what to do, and your body just reacts for you. I, I found myself crouching down on the floor, <laughs> kind of half laughing, like just like, like my body's gone. Right, this is how you react to this very specific situation. Yeah, box of spiders, Dan. Isn't it just a new craft beer? Oh, we didn't have them, mate. It wasn't that. It wasn't that. All beer was craft beer. It was just called beer. I was wondering if um, this is. Uh, have you heard recently? This, this might not be a good one for the American listeners, but myth listeners are, are both of them. Um, mm-hmm. The uh, uh, the uh, the Weatherspoons pub chain mm-hmm. staff have been told to uh, slip positive things about Brexit into uh, conversations uh, and other interactions with customers. I know they've got Brexit literature uh, dotted around the place, so yeah, that wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, this is this is new to me, John. Is this straight up? Yeah, yeah, on pain of uh, disciplining and not making bonuses and stuff, uh, they are asked to promote uh, Brexit by distributing literature and uh, yeah and stuff like that. So um, I wonder how that how that is. Here's your pint. Here's your pint of Carling, sir. That'll be uh, £3.40. And don't you think it'll be cheaper once we get control of our borders? <laughs> I don't know. Be, I just, just as long as I can keep control of me bowels. That's all, <laughs> that's all we can hope for. That's £3.40, sir. And you know how you hate me as a Polish person? Don't worry, I'm well, going Well, soon home. you won't have to worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> And now we return you to your regularly scheduled alphabet. Stagyar Zildogo is an editor of the Hitchhiker's Guide. Uh, that's all we know, Dan. Does it? What does it take um, to be an editor of this uh, particular publication? What I like about the Hitchhiker's Guide as a concept and how the ad- editors and editors in chief and and um, how they all act is that they all seem very very aware that Hitchhikers is a brand. Yeah, and once you start thinking about that. It's kind of, it's really smart how like uh, being a hitchhiker and being a, uh, a researcher for the guide is like a lifestyle and there's lots of rumours that they put out and there's lots of counter rumours that they put out and, and it's always, it's, it's always very aware of how it comes across. So I'm, I'm impressed by that because the, when it was written, obviously brands weren't a thing. Well, brands were a yes, thing. Yes, I was thinking about that. Yeah. Us, us being aware of what brands were and how brands work, we we weren't that wasn't a thing we weren't conversant in that like that's how we were only really 20 years into the sort of modern age of advertising um with 
you know, dish soaps and, and things like that and, and colourful packaging and branding being uh, so readily available in, in jingles and on TV and things like that. And it would have taken a little bit longer for it to come over to the UK because we didn't have, you know, we wouldn't have had commercial TV for all that long. So, yeah, absolutely. We know you like crisps. These are lovely crisps. Pull the pants out the crack of your ass. Get off your feet and have some crisps. Yeah, it, that, that, that was it. Yeah. Look, these are crisps. Buy the crisps. There's different kinds. But we all make all the crisps. You want crisps? Buy the crisps. Crisps. But like, it, I mean, the Coke and the big brand, the big brands were already kind of aware of what brands were and like they associated themselves with certain feelings yes. and certain values. Uh, but we weren't as uh, conversant with recognizing that. No, because media studies hadn't been invented yet. Yeah. So for him to write about that makes me think that maybe he's had some advertising training or as sorry, consultants or he's just particularly smart. I'm spotting that sort of stuff. Um, what I also like is that, so this guy, he's a brand manager, right? What I also really like is that, um, the, the phrase don't panic when taken into, when taken into account with the whole brand itself, doesn't it seem not a little patronizing, but like it takes on a different tone. So rather than just an instructional flat, don't panic, read this book. Like it's kind of like an older big brother kind of don't panic. I've got this kind of thing. I think that's, that's sort of always how I, how I read it. It's you, you almost look at the book when you're in a particular situation and just pulling it out of your, uh, I said knapsack. Um, but you know, whatever, whatever, you know, the, the folds of your towel, you, you pull out this book just before you're about to open it and look up what you need to, you know, to find out how to, uh, deal with, um, you know, a Hagyu Nenon that's about to eat you. You see the cover and it says don't panic. And I think that, you know, as, as, as Arthur says, right at the, you know, the, in the first episode, it's the first helpful or intelligent thing anyone said to me. Um, and, you know, as Ford replies, that's why it sells so well, because it is, it is that sort of big brotherly thing of, it's all right. Don't, you know, take, take a, take a beat and then look at what you need to, to look at. But first, don't panic. I always, I, I always took it as like utilitarian kind of instruction, instruction manual, like sign and, uh, like health and safety sign on the side of a door. Like number one, don't panic. Number two, find your way. No, it's much more after, I mean, it's much more after what we'd now think of as the rough guide or the, um, mm-hmm. things like that. So it's, um, Cause it was modeled after the Hitchhiker's Guide to Europe. Well, at least the, the yeah, that was like the idea. The, supposedly the idea from the, the sort of title came from, but I suppose more than that, there's the sort of, um, the, the whole earth catalog type of, uh, thing or, um, the, the tone of like the, the, your rough guides or, or whatever is very much, um, that has sort of infected all sorts of magazine journalism, um, in the UK, certainly since, uh, that. And I think that it's, it is, but it's part of that brand, but it's part of that, um, that sort of big brotheriness, the sort of joshingness, trying to make you feel like you're a club, but I'm still a bit in charge mm. sort of thing that, um, I suppose the enemy, uh, did really well in the late eighties and early nineties, you know, just that, you know, it's that someone that little bit more switched on than you, mm-hmm. but they're still going to take you along. But there's, um, there are sort of, uh, sort of precedents to this. So the whole earth catalog type thing was really big with the sort of hippie generation that started the sort of digital village idea on the World Wide Web, the idea that the web was going to be this place to share ideas and share it, you know, with a certain philosophy. 
Um, and I think that's really nice and that's quite prescient. And that's Hitchhikers is, is meant to be very much like that. And it's done really, it's done well for us, really, because it's kept that sort of flame alive a little bit. I think, I think it's, um, a sort of like a cultural touchstone. Whereas, you know, the internet and stuff, you can't find a forum which isn't absolutely full of people posting wacky graphics, uh, these days. Um, but, but you, but you can, you can find a little corner perhaps of the internet. So like the, the, um, H2G2, mm-hmm. for example, that's kind of grown up. It's kind of got a philosophy. They're trying to do it right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's um, it's nice. I think we've got uh, the guide, the the idea, the sort of idea of the guide that was created by Douglas to thank for that still existing in popular culture. It's really strong. And with that, I'm glad we've got John on board for this one. Many speak of the legendary and gigantic starship Titanic, a majestic and luxurious cruise liner launched from the great shipbuilding asteroid complexes of Artifactoval some hundreds of years ago now, and with good reason. Very much in keeping with today's episode, this spaceship was built in such a way to ensure that it would be infinitely improbable that anything would go wrong. So, unsurprisingly, when it attempted its first pre-launch radio transmission, it suffered a spontaneous total existence failure. Terry Jones, as we've discussed before, wrote the Starship Titanic book and played a parrot in the video game by the same name, uh, produced by Adams's Digital Village. But uh, Mr. He- Mr. Mr. Bounds there, is the book any good? It's the best book written by an ex-Python member that was supposedly written in the nude in two weeks that I've read. <laughs> sure. It's all right. Mm-hmm. It's it, I, I, I was worried that we were going to have a, a deep and meaningful discussion about it. And I know some of the, char- <laughs> I know some of the characters have, from it have come up in our alphabetical sortie through the Hitchhiker's universe. And every time they come up, I keep my thinking... I don't remember that. There's a reason for that, John. <laughs> Go on, what's that? It's because they come from the video game as opposed to the book, which leads to the question, where, where, where is the point at which we're going to decide what's canon and what's not? The prob- there are some canons in the book, probably, and other, uh, probably. other members of the uh, hierarchy of the, uh, hierarchy of the Church of England. But, um, <laughs> it's, it's an, in- it's an interesting book. It's a funny book. It's probably not, strictly in the if it's in the hitchhiker's universe that someone has to write the reason why the hitchhiker's guide isn't in it mm. we know it was hundreds of years we know it was hundreds of years ago you know we we now know that the the past is uh the, like a foreign country where they do exactly the same thing so yes. um it's the hitchhiker's guide should be there uh and it would have solved some of the problems perhaps in the book and uh the um the sort of plot holes it's it's all right it has to introduce humans uh mm-hmm. as all space things i i think i'm aware of have to do um otherwise they're uh you don't understand what's going on um it's 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 nice and i think terry jones um is an underappreciated writer uh not for perhaps for the his contributions to um television where although that is it is true that lots of people um don't really credit him with the the work he did on ripping yarns for example mm-hmm. 
he did lots of uh, little bits on, uh, you know, ripping yards. And ripping yards wouldn't have been ripping yards without him, but everybody now sees that almost purely as a Michael Palin thing. Um, and it's, it's good. And, and I think we'll, we miss the talents and the, the, the brains of, uh, of people like that. They're just wonderfully, wonderfully silly. Mm-hmm. Which, um, it's different. To, it's different to a Douglas work. Mm-hmm. It's not necessary. It's not necessarily telling us anything about the universe. Yeah, but it's got it's got some great gags and uh, a surprising amount of sex. Woof. And now it's time to go to a disco. Stavro Müller is a Greek serial entrepreneur with a German father and two clubs that we know about to his mixed heritage name. Both clubs share his name, but it's only the second one, Stavro Müller Beta or Stavromüller Beta, that really matters for our purposes. It's where Arthur was supposed to be assassinated and where he, Ford, Random, Trillian and Trisha meet towards the end of Mostly Harmless, just before the Earth is finally destroyed again. And the building number is 42. Danny, since Hickman isn't here, I'm appointing you as head of contrived premises. Honoured, mate. Thank you. Good, good, good man. You there. Is the whole Stavromilabita thing a little bit forced? Yes. Yes. I, 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 from what I remember, he doesn't seed it particularly well. So it's not like like elements come together and it's like a ha-ha moment. Um, I get the impression that the last few books the last couple of books at least weren't as tightly planned mm-hmm. or as as thoroughly explored he, i think i read somewhere that he had a like a he had a real writer's block problem come uh, with the last few books as well and kind of was locked in a hotel john you've read the autobiography it's like he locked himself in hotel rooms and banged them out right yeah i, I think there was a life the universe and everything and um I think it was sort of cobbled together based on uh, some Doctor Who ideas. And um, So Long and Thanks for All the Fish was the real struggle. Uh, I think Douglas was going through a really bad time in his life when he was writing that. I don't I don't think he enjoyed writing uh, Mostly Harmless from what I've read either. Mm. Um, and I, I think that's one of the reasons lots of people think it's a really, really dark book. Mm-hmm. Um, which is why it's my favourite. Um, <laughs> it's, I, I'm quite impressed almost by the, the way the, the, uh, the whole, uh, Stavrum, Stavromula beta thing is sort of tied up because it's, it's, you know, it's quite a long running thing. You know, and Arthur knows he won't die before he gets to Stavromula beta. And mm. it's clunky because you've got to go right. We've got a, <laughs> a half Greek, half German yeah. man yeah. who's got names from both of his, his cultures. Okay, but do you think he planned it? Do you think when he established, oh, Arthur gets assassinated on uh, Stamagita yep. or whatever? Stamagita, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. Wh- whatever it was. Do you think that he knew that it would be uh, uh, the second nightclub of a German Absolutely Greek? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. No, no, no. He's, he, it's, it's kind of, and with one bound, he was free from the corner he painted <laughs> himself into, as it, as it were. <laughs> And finally, let's finish up with a couple of Stevens. Stephen Fry narrated the first audiobook, played the book in the film, and cameoed as a journalist in the radio series. He was a friend of Adam's and wrote about him in his second memoir. He also wrote a very touching uh, obituary in The Guardian, which was which was quite nice, uh, in which he described him as um, as basically having a kindness to match his tall stature. So I, 
I don't, what, what do you guys think of Stephen Fry these days? How do you think his um, work has uh, stood the test of time? Or do you think, perhaps, as I do, that his early work uh, was some of his best? What kind of work are you talking about? I, all, all sorts of stuff. I'm, I, re- I really like, uh, I really loved at the time, uh, a bit of Fry and Laurie. I thought it was... Mm-hmm. absolutely excellent and and wonderful although watching it back recently on netflix um i haven't enjoyed it quite as much there's a lot of uh gaps they 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 used to do the wonderful bits where they're sitting on the sofa and they uh it cut, it cut straight into them talking and then after a while um hugh laurie would go 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 hello we're talking about language we're talking about language yeah and those bits because there were there's no hook to them like there's no easy in with the characters. It's like it's not like it's not like very obvious. It's like oh, he's a guy that only talks backwards, or he's a man that's he's a doctor, but he's also pretending. Like there's no hook to it, and there's no punchline. It's just a celebration of language and rhythm. Hold the newsreader's nose squarely, waiter, or friendly milk will countermand my trousers. <laughs> Perfectly ordinary words but never before put in that precise order. <laughs> a unique child delivered of a unique mother. And finally, to another important Stephen. Stephen Moore played Marvin, the sperm whale, the man in the shack, Gag Halfrunt and the Vogon Guard in the radio series, and Marvin and the whale uh, in the TV series. I know Alan Rickman did a sterling job as Marvin in the film, but for me, Stephen Moore is always going to be the definitive Marvin and for my money the only Marvin that we need and a real treasure but let's gloss over the 1970s uh, pop sensation that was um, whatever the name of that awful song that he released was I think you're right Mark Stephen Moore is the definitive Marvin for me I think he's um, I don't know he sounds depressed but he doesn't sound unhappy about it which is uh, <laughs> resigned yeah Melanch- melancholic he, yes he, he is it's, it's you know it's a beautiful performance particularly on the in the radio show I think Alan Rickman is doing a fine impression of Marvin but he's not really playing him. I think he's... I mean, Alan Rickman's basically being Alan Rickman, which is, you know, he's he, he was very, very good at being Alan Rickman, but he was kind of Alan Rickman in everything that he Alan rickman Um And so Alan Rickman was a very, very sensible choice for that because if you need someone to be Alan Rickman, then the best Alan Rickman to go for is Alan Rickman. You've said Alan Rickman a lot. He's, um, <laughs> how many Rickmans could Rickman if Rickman could Rickman? <laughs> Rickman could man Rick. <laughs> just to go back to just to go back to uh, Mark to um, Steve Moore. He's got one hell of a CV. Yeah, he's worked. The man's worked. Like he has done a lot. Okay, let me. Uh, I'll fancy a little Stephen Moore quiz. Let's uh, let's let's have a Moore off. Let's do it. Diddly, um, so out of uh, I'm going to tell you four roles, and you're going to tell me uh, which uh, is the one that Stephen Moore did not play. Okay. Stephen Moore may or may not have been John Jolly in Clockwise, the colliery manager in Brassed Off, a major in the film A Bridge Too Far, about the building of the of the bridge. No, it wasn't about the bridge too far. It was uh, about Arnhem, the battle in the Second World War. It was about the reverse <laughs> of the building of the bridge, in fact. Um, he may or may not have been a burglary victim in a episode of The Thin Blue Lion, 
what do you reckon? I'm going to go for the bridge too far. That's that would also have been my choice. Well, you were all wrong because um, he actually played all of those things because I couldn't think an improviser of, oh, of a thing. Of a bitch. <laughs> See, he did shit. <laughs> do you know that was my second get? That was ah, uh, that was my that my gut he was, was running telling the quiz me that. And he still cheated, <laughs> dirty bastard. Well, just before we leave you, which uh, we we have to do, uh, sadly. Uh, also, sadly, um, want to make a, a, a very quick uh, unplanned stop off uh, and mention um, a hero to some, um, who was a, a comedy uh, a comedy titan uh, of his time, um, and um, would have been a contemporary maybe five ten years later, I guess. Um, is uh, Jeremy Hardy, who was a uh, a wonderful um, stable of uh, a, a part of the same uh, Radio Four stable for going on for 25 years he was certainly um a panelist on the news quiz uh, for, for a quarter of a century uh and was at the birth of what is uh, now known as alternative comedy and a uh, a loud lefty and a wonderful comic talent and uh, he died um of cancer uh last week at the age of 57 and he's sorely missed and he did i mean i haven't looked for a for a connection i don't think there is one i don't think it matters but uh in in so far as um jeffrey perkins who produced uh the uh certainly the pilot of the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy probably met him and probably produced something with him but you know he deserves to have um a dop a, a, a doff of the cap so uh we do that um to jeremy hardy and that is just about it for the show thank you very much for listening um, you can find us at btlpodcast.com if you do want to say hello uh, you can email feedback at btlpodcast.com you know give us your feedback that's what we want um, you can find Danny on Twitter at probably drunk you can find John at uh, bounder uh, and you'll find me uh, somewhere else until next week have a lovely week and share and enjoy This podcast is produced by Podient. To find out more, visit podiantproductions.com. It's all wackaging all the way down. Oh, wackaging. Tell me you've just come up with that and we never have to mention it again. Is that an actual thing that out in the world? Oh, I found, I found the Guardian article, yeah. It's an actual thing out in the world. Sorry, oh, mate. God, kill us with fire. We deserve... We- That's another thing that you've got to contend with now. Now, now that you know that, in the, that that exists in the world, there's just one more weight on your shoulders. <laughs> <laughs> we deserve to die. So knowledge is on. supposed to be a beautiful thing, but sometimes <laughs> knowledge can really weigh you down.